Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Informed Catholic Podcast. My name is Ned Jabbar, so let's open up with a prayer, please. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who by the Holy Ghost was conceived, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose again from the dead, and he ascended unto heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, Guardian of the Holy Church, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. St. Thomas More, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us from evil. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So, uh, for this... uh, For this season of Lent, we're going to meditate on the Sadness of Christ by St. Thomas More. And I'm going to read uh, the passage of scripture that's going to be uh, related to the meditation from Thomas More's writings. So I'm going to read Psalm 113, and then we're going to move on to Matthew 26, the portion of scripture that Thomas More is going to focus on. So let's start with Psalm 113. Alleluia, praise you, servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. High is the Lord over all the nations, and supreme over the heavens is his glory. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who is enthroned on high? and who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the rubbish heap, seating them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the barren woman in a home and makes her the joyful mother of children. Alleluia. Okay, so uh, now we're going to read from Matthew 26. I'm going to read from uh, Matthew 26, verse 26, uh, so you get a better idea, a picture of of the scene. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after he had pronounced the blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after offering... Thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this, is, for this is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed on behalf of many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, from now on, I shall not drink this fruit of the vine until the day when I shall drink it anew with you in the kingdom of my Father. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. 
Then Jesus said to them, This very night you will be scandalized because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised up, I shall go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all the others will be scandalized because of you, I will never be. Jesus replied, Amen, I say to you, this very night before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same thing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this is the, um, the start of the sadness of Christ. It's actually titled, The Sadness, the Weariness, the Fear, and the Prayer of Christ Before He Was Taken Prisoner. A commentary on Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 18. Uh, for the sake of uh, not con confusing everything, I chose Matthew 26 and Psalm 113, and I'm going to read basically a portion. So not to um, make it very confusing, I will break up for each episode a portion of the meditation. And with it, I will read uh, the passage of Scripture so that way we can focus on it portion by portion, so it won't be too much for us. So let's start. When Jesus had said these things, they recited the hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Matthew 26, verse 30. Uh, I read the whole entire institution of the Eucharist so we can get a better, uh, bigger picture of the event. Though he had spoken at length about holiness during the supper with his apostles, nevertheless he finished his discourse with a hymn. When he was ready to leave, Alas, how different we are from Christ. Though we call ourselves Christians, our conversations during his meals is not only meaningless and inconsequential. Even for such negligence, Christ warned us that we will have to render an accounting. But often our table talk is also vicious. And then, finally, when we are bloated with food and drink, we leave the table without giving thanks to God for the banquets uh, he has bestowed upon us, with never a thought for the gratitude we owe him. Paul of St. Mary, Archbishop of Burgos, a learned holy man, and an outstanding investigator of sacred subjects, gives some convincing arguments to show that the hymn which Christ at the time recited with his apostles consisted of those six psalms which taken together are called by the Jews the great Alleluia, namely Psalm 113 and the five following it. For from very ancient times the Jews have followed the custom of reciting these six psalms under the name Great Alleluia as a prayer of thanksgiving at the Passover and certain other principal feasts. Even now, they still go through the same hymn on the same feast days. But as for us, 
though we used to say different hymns of thanksgiving and benediction of me at meals according to different times of the year each hymn is suited to its season we have now permitted almost all of them to fall out of use and we rest content with saying two or three words no matter what before going away and even those few words we mumble merely for form's sake muttering through our yawns they went out to the mount of olives not to bed the prophet says i arose in the middle of the night to pay homage to you psalm 119 verse 62 but christ did not even lay down to in bed but as for us i wish we could truly apply to ourselves even this text i thought of you as i lay in my bed psalm 63 verse 6 moreover it was not yet summer when christ left the supper and went over to the mount for it was not that much beyond the vernal equinox and that the night was cold is clearly shown by the fact that the servants were warming themselves around charcoal fires in the courtyard of the high priest but this was not the first time that christ had done this as the evangelist clearly testifies when he says as he customarily did luke 22 verse 39 he went up to the mountain to pray teaching us by this sign that when we prepare ourselves to to pray we must lift our minds from the bustling confusion of human concerns to the contemplation of heavenly things mount olivet itself has a mysterious significance planted as it was with olive trees for the olive branch was generally used as a symbol of peace which christ came to establish between god and man after their long alienation moreover the oil which is produced from the olive represents the anointing by the spirit for christ came and then returned to his father in order to send the holy spirit upon the disciples so that his anointing might then teach them what they would not have been able to bear had it not been told them only a short time before okay that ends it there so we have the setting already set up before us thomas moore has us in the upper room at first just at the end of it you know um our Lord and his apostles, they sing hymn. And traditionally, uh, it's the hymns of the six Alleluias that the Jewish people sing uh, in, at most of their great feast days. Um, the Alleluia hymns, uh, Psalm 113 and the five following it. But... What's important where we have to go, if we have to go back to exactly what just happened, our Lord has just instituted the most holy, blessed sacrament, the Holy Eucharist. He has just instituted the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, divinity of our Lord in the upper room, celebrating the Passover. And he changed everything. He also instituted the priesthood. He has anointed his disciples, his apostles, to be bishops, priests. Now, 
maybe a lot of us don't realize it, but that was the marriage feast of the Lamb. If you remember the book of Revelation, it always refers to the marriage feast of the Lamb. When our Lord appeared for his baptism, John the Baptist in the Gospel of John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in later on in John's Gospel, John the Baptist refers to him as the bridegroom, refers to Jesus as the bridegroom, and refers to himself as the best man who rejoices at the bridegroom's wedding. Very important significance for us to understand that we, as members of his mystical body, are the bride, and he is our bridegroom. He is the love of our souls. And that's something we have to understand this. You know, I will get to Thomas More's words, but we really should focus on this to understand the to better get a grasp of the passion of our Lord. Because this very evening that Thomas More is focusing on is the passion, the start of his agony to save our souls. He's about to go on his, on his way on the journey to the cross to fulfill, to fulfill, to consummate his mission. The beauty of it as we meditate on this is that one, remember at the wedding at Cana, I'm bringing this up because I really want us to understand the importance of all this. At the wedding at Cana, Jesus just instituted the second of the seven sacraments. <clears throat> marriage. Marriage. Yes, between a, a man and a woman. The, the bride and the bridegroom. His mother, obviously, that, not, that very, that, for that wedding, that couple played a, an important role for her because she seemed to be very concerned that they ran out of wine. So it obviously shows us in the plot of the story that she was in charge of everything. And Jesus himself, by her intercession, agreed to, uh, to give her what she wanted. But at the same time, he was telling her, that the, his hour has not yet come. But if he answers her prayer, her intercession, the, uh, his hour has arrived. This was her moment of letting go and realizing that in a sense that Jesus, her son, had to fulfill his mission. So he blessed, turned water into wine. There were several jugs, large jugs, which was for part of the ritual a purification, kind of like a topology of our Lord's baptism. But he took what was meant for washing up sin and dirt and he turned it into wine. Remember the often like the new wine for the new covenant. And this was a significance related to his passion. So new wine for the new covenant made out of the water of purification, the washing away of sin. Jesus has just instituted his new covenant. He instituted him. His new covenant was instituted a long time ago through the incarnation, 
the word becoming flesh in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary and through his birth and through his life on earth and through his, you know, his baptism, through his ministry. Jesus was obviously a rabbi, you know, since the gospels often refer to him as rabbi. And it most likely he performed the wedding services. Yes, it says he was invited, but his mother, yes, because his mother was, uh, was in charge of the wedding, but obviously he must have performed the wedding service. If he has turned marriage into a sacrament, then it meant that he most likely had performed a wedding service. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am, and I'm willing to be proven wrong. But it obviously, he was very important to be there. And she, this to, to the blessed, our blessed lady, that couple was very important to her. She obviously, uh, they meant so much to her that she wanted the wedding to go well. Now, going back to the, to the story, obviously, uh, more wants us to understand that we often take everything for granted. We don't um, really take the seriousness of the sacraments, the seriousness of our salvation. Um, think about it. He says that we eat and we drink and uh, without gratitude. And we also have foul talk, useless conversations with great ingratitude towards the blessings that have been given to us. Um, think about it. We go to communion. We receive the body and blood and divinity of our Lord. We take, we partake of the wedding feast of the lamb. And a lot of us walk away as though we're, we have never been converted. Like we've never heard the gospel with no shame in how we're talking and how we are behaving with great ingratitude towards the graces, the sanctified graces that have been given to us, the important sanctification that was been handed, given to us by our Lord. And, you know, we just act like nothing happened. We, we come, we, we hear the gospel, we sing hymns, uh, we participate in the liturgy and we walk away as though we have never heard the word of God, that we, we, we have no shame. And that's something we have to understand. We go back and we commit the same sins over and over again. And we don't realize, we take for granted the salvation that has been given to us. Another important uh, factor to all this is that we often, uh, like the apostles, we don't know ourselves. Jesus warns them that they're going to fall away and deny they ever knew him. Peter speaks out and says, I will die for you. And Jesus tells him, you are, you know, you're going to deny you ever knew me three times before the cock crows. You will deny you ever knew me three times. And Peter says, um, though they all fall away, I will, you know, I will die with you. And we all know they all got scared and they ran for it. That's an example of how little we know ourselves. We don't know our own weak, sinful nature. We're not well aware of our own behavior, of how 
sometimes we don't act like Christians. We don't act like, 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 like believers. We act like we never heard the gospel. We act like we never prayed to God. We behave badly. We take the beauty that Christ has given us and we take it for granted. So, you know, it's obvious. I mean, you know, going to the Mount of Olives, as Thomas More points out, yes, it, it has an important significance. We have to climb up. We have to climb. We have to go with our Lord and we have to really stick close to him. When they got there, he warned them. And what happened? They fell asleep. He prayed. He prayed. The word Gethsemane means olive press. And we all know that our Lord, he sweated blood. In a sense, it was almost like he was being pressed down like olives. And the oil, which um, according to some tradition, the Garden of Gethsemane belonged to the temple, possibly. And it was uh, you, the oil pressed from there. The, the olives that came from the old press when they was used for uh, religious services. There's also another tradition that pos- the a tradition. It's a small T that possibly Adam and Eve found themselves there exiled because think about it. The significance of it is that our Lord goes to the garden is a typological reflection to uh, Adam in the garden. Adam was put to test. Jesus was put to test that night. All right. And uh, where Adam failed the test, our Lord didn't. He decided to make himself willingly as a sacrifice, as a burnt offering, as, as a sin bearer for us. A very important thing uh, in this meditation is that we have to understand is that we we too have to recognize that by receiving his body and blood, we should reflect him. We should pray for others. We should um, also participate uh, in love, in, in showing people the, the, the love. Because when we, when we show people, when we give them examples of our faith, when we perform our faith without showing off, but we do it without asking anything, without even uh, daring to ask for anything in return, we reflect Christ. We, resh- we show them the truth of the gospel the truth of, of our faith. People, you, people are not, you know, can listen to you. You could talk to them to their blue in the face and they're not going to believe because remember, sometimes you don't know that possibly they have been scandalized by others, by scandalized by bad Christians. So they assume all Christians are hypocrites who can blame them if they've seen some really bad behavior. So we have to pray. We have to pray that more and more people begin to pay attention to the gospel more carefully and pray. So uh, I'm going to end it here and hopefully um, I'll get back to you soon with the other half of the meditation. So let's end it with a prayer. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen.